So, uh, sermons come from a lot of locations, and sermon series come from a lot of locations. This one came uh, out of our vacation uh, as we were traveling around. And uh, so, I'm going to give you some background uh, before we get into uh, this. We, before we left, we, you know, you don't know where you're going. I mean, in terms of who's where and what. So we we did the best we could to try to find a, a church that we're going to be on a Sunday down in somewhere in Florida. And uh, I know some people in Florida, but we weren't going to be in their part of Florida. Uh, so, so well, we'll just look at websites, I guess. So we, we found a website. We went and went uh, to a church. It was in uh, Boca Raton, I think. Anyway, uh, so, so we wa- walked in and sat down and and it was different. It was a little bit different from what I kind of expected from their website. But hey, I mean, you got a website to go on. So, and as I was sitting there, um, I was getting perturbed. I don't know. I expected something different. And, and it, there was, this. I won't go into detail, but it was not like there were some things that were kind of out of order. Like that, that's not quite right. And this is not the way I do it. And we talked about that in class this morning about preferences. Sometimes your preferences are different. And then, and then sometimes, you know, there's this feeling that, that nah, that's not quite the way God wanted it. And um, so, so there was kind of that feeling. Uh, and it was kind of hard for me to concentrate actually a little bit uh, as we were going through this service. And I'm like, I'm trying to get something. I've got to leave with something positive. So I'm going to leave. Well, uh, I was listening. To, I'll, I'll, I'll give you one of the things. Uh, this is a church that has existed since the 80s, and they were excited that, that the next week they were, they were finally going to have elders. They were going to put in their first set of elders, right? It was like biblical leadership where the, the 80s. Now, <clears throat> as it turns out, now we, we brought our son down to college, for those who might be visiting. Um, he's going to Harding, right, a Christian school. And, and uh, so, so we were... We, we get to this, this guy is a, is a graduate of Harding. I'm like, wow, pretty cool, but, but like, what in the, the 80s, what's the deal? Uh, so so I, 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 we finished the, 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 the service and everything, and I already had an email composed, because, you know, we've got to get out and we've got places to go and do. I'm going to fire off an email, this guy. Right? And, uh, but before we left, we, we got chatting as, as things where I was, we were actually one of the last to leave church service so some things never change uh, so, so we were chatting with people and I, I was really glad that I just gave it a moment um, and so um, one of the members was talking that they had just hired this guy he got hired like right before COVID hit and, and so they're like trying to get stuff together uh, he handed out three certificates that day. That was one of the, one of the neat things, uh, baptism certificates. One of them had been baptized like during COVID, and it was like everything. This was like one of the first, one of the first weeks that they've been back together down there. And I, I started listening to to some things, and and I don't know where this church has come from. I don't. I realized that I didn't really know their background. So for me to find a a static point where this church was and to make a quick judgment. To where I was getting ready to fire off a heated email, you know, like what in the world are you doing down here, right? Without knowing any background, I, I was really glad that I that I had had just taken a moment, um, and that static look at things isn't always an accurate picture, right? To to think about it this way, they they were getting some biblical leadership. That's that's a major step. So so I don't know where they are. In, in their past, you know, and, and where they, where they, who knows? 
But um, maybe the things that stood out to me in that moment weren't really such a high priority at that moment. And, and maybe, the, you know, the guy has been there for a year, kind of figured that out. But in the hours of driving, and when I say hours, I mean hours of driving, um, I started developing this series. Um, we're going to explore the idea of people who are sincerely wrong, because it was evident from, from these people, from, from talking, that they're very sincere in, in, in their, their worship and in, in, their, in their lives, um, just the way they talked. Uh, you get that feel, that, that connection. They were very sincere, even if there were some things that, that were a little wrong. Um, and so I made that error in judgment. We have a tendency as people to assign motives to the error. Right? And that, that, that was really my error, was, was assigning a motive to it. I, I don't know what the motive was. I don't know where it comes from. So we're going to be looking at four people in the scriptures. I'm sure there's a lot more than that. But, but four people that, that illustrate a different way that, that people can be wrong but sincere in their wrongness. Now that doesn't say that, that, that we should just tolerate the wrongness. right? Uh, here's a church that was moving in the right direction. Uh, and, and we're going to look at people who needed to be corrected for, for one reason or another. But, but it comes from, at least it begins from a, a, per, a, a perspective or a standpoint of being sincere. And so we're going to look at Acts chapter... Um, there we go. Acts chapter 18. i got the computer down a little bit lower. A Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures... He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and they explained to him the way of God more accurately. When he wished to cross over to Caia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Christ was Jesus, or Jesus was Christ. We want to talk about incomplete information. There's a lot of ways that you can be wrong. Right? Uh, when we read this, this, this passage sometimes is, is, feels contradictory, because we read it with a, a particular viewpoint. It says... In one hand, that he had to be corrected, but it also says that he was teaching accurately. Now, and, and you know, when if if I someone says, you know, you did something accurately, to me that means I did it right. So if you're correcting me, I don't understand why then you would tell me that I'm doing it right. And and we need to look at the different ways that you can be wrong. And Apollos is wrong in a particular way. It is not that he is saying things that are wrong. It is just that he does not have the whole story. See, he's been educated, and to whatever point he's right, he's right. He just doesn't have all of it. And so Priscilla and Aquila, we're going to look at, at how they uh, correct 
we wanted to dissect first before we get into how they correct it. I want to dissect the error that he has. Um, so let's let's begin from a good point. Let's let's look at what he had right. Now we don't know a lot of what he had right. There's not a lot of details. This is a short passage, but what he had right is this. It says that he was teaching accurately concerning the Christ. Right. So so whatever it was, his understanding of the person of Christ or the work of Christ, was accurate. And we'll talk about how he could have known that and why in, in just a second. But he, you know, he, it might be the ministry or the messages or the miracles, but he, was, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. All right, so, so that's, that's what he had right. That's as far as we know what he had right. And we, we, there's no way for us to know specifically beyond that. So we want to get into what he lacked. So, so let's start with, actually, in the next chapter. We didn't read this, but, but we're going to look at... You can sometimes kind of tell what a person is lacking by looking at the trail they leave. Right? And so, so in this story, uh, Apollos is, ha, is gone. And we're going to get back to, to that, too. There's kind of a lot of working pieces here. And, and Paul happens to come in. Right after that, he finds some disciples that this guy has taught. And that's this chapter in Acts 19. So it's, it's the very beginning uh, of this. It says, well, it happened that, uh, it happened that while, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. And there he found some disciples. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And he said, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into, then, into what then were you baptized? They said, well, John's baptism. So, so we, we could in, immediately connect where they got this from, right? We, 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 just, we know the previous chapter. We know who they've heard. And so, so there's only, again, not a ton of details. But we, we know then, uh, oh, hello, we're going to have to go through this again. Someone didn't check his, there we go. They're lacking New Testament doctrine. Oh, that's, gonna, that's easy. So we know two doctrines specifically. They, they, they're not quite, they, they understand a little bit about baptism, but, but not everything about baptism. And they don't understand about the Holy Spirit. And so the only two details. There, there's probably more than that. But again, we're not privy to that information. But this does help us point out where his cutoff of education is. Uh, There we go. We want to look at why he was wrong. And there's a couple of reasons why he's wrong. And I think this is important. First of all is to look at uh, his identity. He's from Alexandria. Uh, Alexandria was a, a, a city in uh, well, Egypt now. Uh, it's it's a, a very educated city. Uh, I want to look at uh, his identity However, his name is a, a Greek name. Whoa, hello. Um, Apollos. What's Apollos? Well, it's, it's kind of connected to Apollo. Right? We're getting into Greek mythology here. And yet, he's fluent in the Torah. How is that? How is a man, some oddities, this guy is kind of an odd guy. How is this guy, who is educated in the Torah, a Hebrew 
Scripture. How is he given a name ascribing Greek mythology? No Hebrew would do that. And that's, that's unheard of. That, that's, you're getting close to idolatry. That would not be a thing. You don't, you don't see those names. Remember where he's at. He's in Alexandria. And so there's a lot of potential things. And I'm not going to say that it's, it's, it has to be one thing or another. But we could, we could come up with a, 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 a list of possibilities. He could be a proselyte. Um, now he's Torah fluent, as we say. So, so he's been raised in it, or he's been familiar with it for some period of time. He's not a recent proselyte. He could have been born, and then his family could have converted to it. That would be another possibility. Not a ton of possibilities, but, but there's a few. He's been familiar with it for some period of time after his birth. Whether he's a first generation or a second generation. Well, geography is also important. He's... 350 miles away from Jerusalem. Now, Jews, good Jews make at least one pilgrimage. Now, he's probably, as we said, he's probably a proselyte of some sort, first or second generation. So I don't know how good of a Jew they were. You know? uh, they're just getting used to all the requirements. The, you know, if you're born in it, you know, you've got to do all the things. But, but if you're kind of new to it, then you kind of pick and choose. You, you're getting adapted to, to how things go. Uh, you, you don't know everything. Well, so it's, it's obvious that, that he must have made a pilgrimage or two to the Holy Lands, a Passover, or whatever, whatever it would have been. Again, these are possibilities. I'm just throwing things out there to, to try to figure out how he could be wrong. Remember, he's a sincere person. How does he hear about what he knew about Christ? And there is another verse here uh, that I think is important. He had been instructed in the ways of the Lord. So, so at some point, wh- whether it's maybe a person from Jerusalem comes and is teaching, oh, you know, uh, who knows. Whatever, whatever the case is, we know it's pre-Pentecost. It's, they're familiar with John. John dies pretty early. So, so, so it might have been someone who had been a disciple of John's and, and, and maybe started into this, you know, kind of along with, with Peter and Andrew, where, where they kind of went from one to the other. They, they could have been in that. Uh, but this is, this is this time frame, this three-year or so time frame that he, his source material comes and that's all he has. Now I want you to think about this. This, is, this to me is, is kind of impressive. That he takes what little he has. And he's traveling the world to let people know. And he doesn't even have the whole thing. Isn't that awesome? I think that's awesome to, to think about that. He had such a little sliver of information. And it was so powerful to him. That, that he is crossed... The Mediterranean. Now, I just went on a three-week trip. I lost my AC in, in Miami. Okay? 
Yeah, going south, not coming north. So, so we had it. We went on a, a safari where they told you to roll your windows up. And I was like, well, the lions can come eat me because the, these things are coming down. <laughs> so, my difficulties of travel were a cakewalk compared to going across the Mediterranean on a ship. To end up in Ephesus in northern Turkey with a little sliver of information that was so powerful that he just had to share this to people. That is impressive. That's extra. That's not even in my notes. But I want to look at more importantly, we, we understand how he's possibly wrong and, and, and how he's sincerely wrong. But I want to look at um, my next slide. There we go. A reaction to the error. Now, I'm not talking about his reaction. I want, I want to talk about Aquila and Priscilla. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. And there's three things in here that I want to look at uh, specifically. How they treat him. How they react to his error. Three really, really important things. First of all, they take him aside. Now, that phrase has different connotations. Take you aside. That's foreboding. That's not the way that this is intended to sound. They took him aside. They didn't handle him publicly. They didn't humiliate him. They did it... Um, so that he can save face. Because there's no need to. He's sincere. Statements made in public often solidify where you're at. God's aware of this. This is why he has us make public confessions of our faith. It solidifies what you believe. You're less likely to go back on something. So, so if they have a debate in public, it's going to solidify where Apollos is. And instead of allowing him to move to accept something more accurate. And so, so they take him aside in a private setting. Now, that's not the only thing they do. They explain. They don't debate. It's not hostile. But uh, I think this is important that this, the, the whole thing is, is, is this discretion here. There's a, the presence of Priscilla is interesting in this. And this has caused much debate. Many arguments, speaking of arguments. The presence of Priscilla and what does she do? Um, people who are into 
progressive ideas of roles in the church and all this and want to debate about all this, really love this. Uh, so I, I don't know. I wasn't there. There's a lot of things that we don't know from this. I can tell you from just the way, as a, as a preacher's family, the way I can see this going, just because of the way it, it works in our family, is uh, Katie is an inviter. Most of you know that, right? Most of you have been invited at some time or other uh, to a dinner, and she likes to host, uh, especially new families. Host. Get people in. I can see Priscilla doing that. I'm not saying that Priscilla didn't contribute to the conversation. I'm sure she did. I can also tell you that, that, that Katie contributes quite a bit to conversations. She does it different than I do. Uh, she really facilitates the types of conversation I have. Uh, she makes them a lot more effective, in fact. And she's, she's very much more into relating stories and, and illustrations and examples and, and things like that that, it, that go beyond just the doctrine of things and, and the book chapters and verses of things. And it, it relates things. So, so when, when Priscilla and Aquila are explaining him the way more fully, I can see them doing it in a much different way. I can see Priscilla being a, a very active part of this and a very effective part of this. Colossians, in Colossians, Paul writes that let your, your conversation be seasoned with salt. Right? And that's, that's much the same advice that, that Jesus gave in the Sermon on the Mount. You are the salt of the earth. Your, I, you, your requirement is to be appealing. Not, not fake appealing, right? But, but to use yourself and to use your speech to uh, not to change what you, what's being presented, but to make it appealing. Right? The, it's still mashed potatoes, right? But it's got salt on it. it it's appealing. It, it's not flavorless. So they take him aside and they explain. And they do one more thing that's important. They trust him. When they, they send him off and they recommend and there's no qualifying statements. Do you notice that? You see that there's, uh, they encouraged him. They wrote the disciples to welcome. There's no, you know, he was wrong. He was really wrong. You know, we, he only... What he understood was such a small fraction. He knew the law, and he knew who Jesus was. Beyond that, he really didn't know anything. So, you know, you got to tread lightly with this guy. He might... There's, none of, there's nothing here like that. They taught him, and they trusted him. And that gives him confidence to where we, we see what this produces. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. He becomes such a powerful person, I believe, because of the way he's handled. A man who is sincerely <coughs> wrong. Now I want to look 
to a different reaction, and that is Paul's follow-up. We read about in Acts 19, but we need to go because there's an error, and that error has been spread to other people, so there needs to be a reaction to this. It happened while Paul was at Corinth. We've already read this. We'll read it a little bit more detail. Paul passed through the inland country, came to Ephesus. He found the disciples. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, no. We haven't even heard about it. They said, well, then, what in, into what were you baptized? They said, John's baptism. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was to come, that is, Jesus. And it goes on. Oh, okay. And they're rebaptized, right? Paul follows up in some ways that are very important. Now, he could have done a number of things which he did not do. He did not fire off a fiery email. <laughs> I want to look at his approach to them first. His approach, how does he address them? He addresses them as believers. He probably knows that they're not. In the sense that they haven't become Christians. He knows that, but he addresses them as though they have. You notice that? He doesn't start from the standpoint of an opposition. What's your story? Now, he knows where he's going to go. But he doesn't give them the reason to be apprehensive about what he's going to say right off the get-go. What's your story? That's, that leads directly into the second thing that he does as he listens. Well, so many of our conversations we get into and we pause so that we can formulate our argument back. And I'm not really listening to what you're saying. Just like, okay, this is just, I need to catch a breath. So you go. And that's kind of how discussions go a lot of times. But he listens to their story. He asks about their story and then he listens to it. And I want to look at his timing. You notice they sent Apollos away. So at this point of the story, Apollos is gone. He's in Corinth. He's 300 miles away across the Aegean Sea now. That's over by Athens. So... Apollos can save face, number one. He doesn't have to be embarrassed by, okay, you didn't really do things really well here. But also, we even read this later in, in Corinth. Apollos had kind of a, a magnetic personality. We, even in the book, here we see in Corinth, right, where, where he's at, later on, people equated him as equal with Paul. That is the powerful nature. Some say I am of Paul, some I am of Apollos. I mean, this guy was not small potatoes. This guy was something. So you can imagine these 12 men who have listened to him have been influenced. They've been just wowed by this guy. If, if Paul comes in and just says, please, he's going to lose 12 men. 
And so the way he approaches this situation is so Apollos doesn't have to be embarrassed. And these people don't have to feel awkward about, okay, he was pretty right. There's a little bit more to the story. It's handled delicately. Our, our viewpoint of Paul sometimes, I think, is inaccurate. That, that we think that Paul's just this and run into a situation. Because Paul did that sometimes. I mean, Paul withstood Peter to his face publicly. Right? He, he had the ability to do that and pull that out of the pocket when he wanted to. But he handles this so delicately. And, and what's the result of this? If we read the rest of this chapter... It, it talks about how there were a lot of enemies of, of this very small church. And so he took these 12 men and he's like, okay, we're going to go over here to the school of Tyrannus where we can, and, and for two years they met and talked, and, and it talks about how they were going everywhere. And within such a short period of time, these 12 men spread the gospel, the accurate gospel, to the entire county, what we would call a county. Two years. It is done exactly the way Apollos becomes effective was here because they were treated as sincere. And they were treated respectfully. And so we're going to conclude with a, a thought. Just the one word thought. Just to hit the pause button. Because we need to do that sometimes. When we're sitting in the middle of a new church where we've never been before and have opinions about everything, you know, since 1985. I want to talk about mismanaged errors. There's a, an American event that occurs. You probably never, never heard of it, but you know the effects. In 1830, in Palmyra, New York, there's a young guy who's about 24 years old by the name of Joseph Smith. Uh, his family grew up as Freemasons. And he had some weird religious ideas. You might have heard of them. But at this point in time, his weird ideas were not really too much beyond uh, the Mormon or the, excuse me, the, the Freemason ideas. The Freemasons, for those of you who, like, what are Freemasons? They're basically like an Elks Lodge with secret handshakes. It's pretty much it. And they think they're smarter than everybody else. And that's really all he was doing, and he had some rocks, and he would say magic things. That was pretty much it. Not too popular. He wasn't really popular in Palmyra, New York, either. That's why he got kicked out of Palmyra, New York. That's not the event that I'm leading you to. About 300 miles south, there was a, a, in Pittsburgh, there was a preacher by the name of Sidney Rigdon. Uh, Sidney Rigdon had a guy in his church by the name of Parley Pratt, and, uh, who ended up becoming a preacher. These guys had been uh, converted by a guy, you might have heard his name, by the name of Alexander Campbell. Um, and, and it was the early 1800s, uh, and they had this idea, and it was really attractive to, to, um, to Sidney Rigdon, 
of just reading the gospel and, and trying to be originalists and, 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 you know, like the original constitution. You hear that a lot. Well, kind of treating the Bible that way. Going back and, and, and let's, let's get rid of all the stuff. And, and let, let's get back to some original thought. And that was very attractive, and it should be attractive. But uh, Sidney Rigdon had some weird ideas, too. Uh, he kind of went overboard. He was a very literal person. Sidney Rigdon was, was starting to teach in his congregation, for example, that we should, because Jesus did it in the early church, right? we should wash feet at the Lord's Supper. Now, that's literal. Jesus said, go and do that likewise. I'm being literal. He looked at Acts chapter 2 and said, well, we're, if we're taking this from Acts chapter 2, we should be taking this from Acts chapter 2. Why are we not speaking in tongues? And uh, uh, he had, had some more, some other things that were related to that. Very literal in a lot of things. So in 1830, I said 1830 before, for a reason. In 1830, Palmyra, New York, secret handshakes. That's what Mormonism was at that point in time. Now, enter into this discussion the fact that Sidney Rigdon's about 12 years older than one Mr. Uh, Joseph Smith, an experienced preacher. But he was such a head full of steam. Alexander Campbell comes up from West Virginia, and they debate. Alexander Campbell is a good debater. Public debate. And he torched him publicly. And Sidney Rigdon took Parley Pratt and went north. They had already heard about Joseph Smith. And from that point, you can date from that point in September of 1830 when Mormonism starts adopting the doctrines that kind of look familiar, like baptism. Even their name, the Church of Jesus Christ, the various things like this that look very similar. <coughs> Where did they come from? Sidney Rigdon and Parley Pratt. It wasn't Joseph Smith's. It came from a guy who was publicly humiliated, who was very sincere. Had Alexander Campbell, a, a man who is recognized by a lot of people as, as incredible in thought and ability and touch, had he taken him aside and taught him the way more accurately 100 and almost 200 years later we might not know a thing called Mormonism today think about how significant that is that, that one, had, had Paul and Priscilla and Aquila not used the method that they used who knows what error there might be in the world today we, we can't imagine that It's so important for us to pause 
and, and, and to, there are times where something has to be handled, and you can't unhandle it. You know, you can't like just let it go. But to pause and say, this person is sincere. Which direction do I want them to go? And that's that's the, the encouragement as we to deal with people, as we look at people in the world around us and in the congregation and other congregations. To pause and to listen. Um, maybe shoot a, a nicely worded private email. <laughs> but something discreet, something that allows them to still be genuine and sincere. 